You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 586, When Motown Came to Britain, Stephen Mulhern's playlist, Eurovision with John Lydon, and what Jeff Beck had in common with Henry VIII. That's all coming up after The Supremes and The Temptations, and I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to do all the things for you a girl wants a man to do. Oh baby, I'll sacrifice for you, I'll even do wrong for you, oh baby, every minute, every hour, I'm gonna shower you with love and affection, look how it's coming in your direction. step I make brings me closer baby closer to you and with each beat of my heart for every day we are part I'll hunger for every wasted hour and I- I was only 13 when that was a hit in the UK, but mm. when Diana Ross said, oh, baby, <laughs> I, I felt my life had changed forever somehow. Um, I idolised Diana Ross as a teen- teenager, and um, mm. I still do to this day. Yeah. Number three in the UK, number two on Billboard, from late 1968, Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations, I'm going to make you love me. I mean, what a not so much a super group as a kind of super collab there, really. Yeah. Everybody involved in that being amazing. Like you, my my life has been shot through with Diana Ross yes. um, for sort of forever, really, and uh, in different contexts as well. And I, 
it, interesting, I have friends that saw her set at Glastonbury this year that got much maligned in some quarters, her legend mm. slot. And she, and my friend Grace, I said, you know, oh, what was it? I said, I watched it on telly. What was it like? And she said, we had a fantastic time mm. there. I've just heard it on the radio and she doesn't sound that good, to be honest. But she said no one cared at the time exactly. because everyone was yeah. singing along. She's Diana Ross. She can do what she likes. She's very clearly made so many people happy over the years. Another way in which Diana Ross has made me very happy is, and I remember being allowed to sit up to watch this at the time. God knows yeah. why. Um, the opening ceremony of the 1994 USA World Cup. Um, <laughs> and that lovely scene where she she sings I'm Coming Out at the opening ceremony. Um, a, a penalty is staged for Diana Ross to take. Um, she misses the penalty in truly emphatic fashion. I mean, in fairness, she's taking a penalty in what looked to be large boots. So I think we can give her some, <laughs> some credit for that. But the best thing is she completely misses it. The goal explodes. It's in two halves that kind of break open as if anticipating that she's smashed it in. And to be honest, that goalkeeper was making no effort to save that. <laughs> and instead of, you know, apologising for the fact she's missed it, she can she and all of the entourage, which there are loads of backing singers and like just a general crowd of people with Diana Ross at this point, they just all plunge on through the goal and she carries on singing. And the clip is on YouTube. Um, Whenever I feel sad or like my life is not succeeding in some way, I watch it and just think, no, we must all be the Diana Ross missing a penalty at the at the World Cup USA 94 and then ploughing on any way that we wish to see in the world. And, you know, when when um, well, we talked about this before, I changed mm. my view around completely on this. When we say, you know, some people say, um, oh, well, Diana Ross, her voice isn't quite up to it anymore. We, I've realised yeah, exactly, that. That's not the Doesn't point. Matter. Like with Paul McCartney as well, you know, we, it's easy, isn't it, to sort of say, "Oh, look, he, he may have been a little bit flat." There, always voices straying. Yeah, exactly. There. Just enjoy it. It's Diana yes. Ross. These, you know, yeah. these people are not young. We might not have them yes, very much longer. Exactly. It's like me seeing Brian Wilson doing Pet Sounds. Yes. Just to be able to see this is the best thing. And you know, and if they're happy, then great. You know, and and yes, I know they're probably charging quite a lot for this, but <laughs> it's worth paying to be there i think and to be with those people i think it is it's a lovely thing so i'm glad you came round city i'm delighted speaking of of course just um on a whim this week i just thought mm. i wonder if there are tickets available for elton's you know it's his farewell tour oh yeah his it's, latest farewell tour indeed. his latest farewell tour <laughs> this, time he's, get, this time he's really going i guess is the is the tagline cheapest isn't it? seats just under 400 quid <gasps> But the O2, I mean, I know the O2's dear. I mean, in comparison, and I know that perhaps this shows how quickly things have moved. I went to see Iron Maiden's uh, Made in England tour, anniversary tour. And this would have been in 2013, I think. So it was 40 years, I think, of Made in England. I went with my, my friend and we had standing tickets at the O2 to see Iron Maiden and they were 60 quid each. Yeah, yeah. And that that is just mad, isn't it? Yeah. Really, Cheapest seats at the O2 know, being 400 quid is just, that is mad. That is not good. I know. Welcome to the modern world. And also, right. welcome along to Parish oh. Council. It's episode 586. Such a smooth segue. Stan- that was brilliant. Sorry. That is, he is <laughs> it Terrence It was Stackham. impressive, Sorry wasn't it? Yeah, yes, yeah. he'll very much still Sir Terence Stackham. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, I mean, I'm wasted. I should be on radio too. I, really I agree. Yeah. Absolutely agree. I'd listen to it if you were on. Yeah, well, I'm Terence Stackham, and how is she getting on writing her bombshell memoir? Let's ask 
Juliet Harris. Uh, I'm going to call it chair instead of spare, <laughs> and I'm going to be seated in that lovely patchwork armchair that I have on the uh, on the front. It will be available in some good bookshops, but mostly really bad ones is is the plan. So who knows? Coming soon for 99p at the works near you. It's yes. me. Hi everyone. He did uh, Harry. He did this excruciating interview with Stephen Col- Colbert. Did you see it on? Uh, no, American I, I, TV? I, I've switched off all of this. To be honest, I mean, uh, I, and, I was I was sympathetic to him and Meghan at uh, first, but I've just I, I don't think this is doing anybody any good, and uh, I'm just com- I'm just concerned it's going to end really horribly. So I just don't I don't want to look at this car crash anymore. I think uh, it's Stephen Colbert says, um, and here he is, his royal highness, Prince Harry, and the crowd, Harry, 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 oh, genuinely. And he well, got it's got a bit of a Jerry Springer vibe about it. Really this did. Whole thing, so he it? sits down, and in what is clearly something that he or his team had worked up for him. Mm. You know how this host always sits behind the desk, and then there's like two or three chairs spread out, yes. and they all shuffle along. So the Prince Harry comes out, sits on the first one, points at the empty chair next to him, and says, ha, 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 "Is that the spare?" Oh, <laughs> and, you know, it was oh. like um, that, that sort of awful moment where there's this. <sighs> Quiet, it's a tumbleweedy silence, tumbleweed yes, moment. absolutely. Yes, it's, yeah. um, it's, yeah, not yes. Now, it's quite hard to uh, imagine the previously mentioned ultra-glamorous Diana Ross mm. rattling around the UK on a tiny tour bus. <laughs> but in 1965, a Motown package tour whizzed around the UK, and on that bus were the Supremes, Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder, little Stevie Wonder, um, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, and Martha <laughs> Reeves and the Vandellas. It's and insane, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy. I, how I would love to have seen that bus on the way oh, as they came through my town. Um, last week, the BBC commemorated this in the documentary When Motown Came to Britain. And, of course, as more time passes, and here we're talking about 58 years, fewer and fewer of those appearing, or even those in the audience, are still mm. with us to tell the story. And there was much reliance on talking heads and still photographs, mm-hmm. but also, very happily, Colin Green, the guitarist yes. of Georgie Fame's band, brought a movie camera mm. with him. Georgie Fame had been brought into later dates to try and boost flagging yes. ticket sales because, extraordinarily enough, all of the venues for this amazing Motown package mm. tour um, reported tiny ticket sales. Mm. Jules, you and I, we both love Motown. Did when Motown came to Britain do a good job in highlighting the label's appeal in the mid 60s? I mean, I this this program was on between Christmas and New Year, and honestly, what a complete treat! I adored every minute of this. I thought it was so good. I, I see what you say about the Lance and Talking Heads. What I really liked about it was that some of these Talking Heads, who bless them, are not young now. Mm. Were young fans at the time and young yeah. working class fans at the time. It was really good, I thought, at telling the story of the fact that that it was one bloke that basically brought Motown Amazing. to Britain. This extraordinary yeah. story that Motown in Britain basically sort of was born in a what appeared to be a semi-detached house in Bexley Heath um which which was just so unlikely it's the sort of thing that I could imagine someone like Richard Curtis getting hold of <laughs> and making a film that really isn't as good as it should be about it the whole thing as you say this really bizarre kind of story behind um how because Motown at this point was a um, was was a cult thing in Britain, and this is what what one forgets in 1964, sort of in the run up, it was really really not not 
not known at all it was it was it was really sort of um cult mm. you know no one really that there wasn't any publicity really around this time this one man who sadly is no longer with us dave godin who seems to spend his whole life being this kind of really anti-establishment figure weirdly <laughs> um you know being sort of a, a, an anarchist and you know sort of an animal rights activist and stuff who remained lifelong friends with many of these people he became barry gordy's sort of right-hand man yeah. he he he's set up this kind of Hitsville UK Motown Appreciation Society from his house um, all of the lettering was done in letter set for the, for the letters and I just I was I just found this so delightful and the idea that um they made a special disc, so they so they made a a, a disc to be given to be given away with all of these Motown stars saying hello to our fans in England, and in return the fans in England, all these sort of young, young sort of slightly outsider type people. I was really struck by the fact that Motown is almost so mainstream now, isn't it? Everybody, Motown particularly, everybody knows that's why it gets played at weddings all the time because people from really young kids to the to the eldest people in the room know how all of these songs go it's the kind of music in everyone's bloodstream i think everyone knows and likes it i think i think it really does cross across uh, cut across you know sort of genres and ages and and you know all kinds of characteristics and 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 these fans turned up at the at the um but you know these fans that were all quite a lot of these people were sort of come out as gay in the 60s which was quite a dangerous mm. thing to do then lots of these people that felt there was one man that spoke very movingly of the fact that he's not sure he would have coped with coming out in 1967 without this sort of lovely motown soul music to bolster him they all turned up with like banners to welcome them off the plane <laughs> at the airport i thought it was so lovely there were some great contributions in this program i thought it was really a, a good range of people claudette robinson from the miracles who mm. was who was you know seemed to be really touched by the kind of way in which, as you say, a small amount of people in England kind of embrace this. Um, my favourite contributor, whom I didn't really know up until this point, Vicky Wickham, the producer mm. of Ready Steady Go, who mm. I didn't I had no idea that programme had a had a female producer. She'd said lots of very interesting things because there was, of course, a Motown special um, rather crucially. And this was the big tragedy of the whole thing. They filmed a Motown special with all of these amazing people on this Ready Steady Go, which I'd never seen the footage until this point. So I was delighted to see that. And yet the programme was not transmitted until two weeks after the tour had left Britain. Of course, as, as, as the producer said, it didn't help sell tickets to the tour, though it did help shift an awful lot of Motown records in Britain, because that was the point at which Motown erupted over here when people saw those things on Ready, Steady, Go. By the way, the programme, worth the asking price alone for Dusty Springfield and Martha Reeves singing together, singing um, yeah. Wishing and Hoping. Just the most joyful thing. Her, um, Dusty Springfield laughing halfway through the fact that it nearly didn't happen vicky wickham committing dusty springfield to presenting it before she even knew it was happening uh, it reminded me that dusty springfield was an ally before that was even a concept wasn't it before before black lives matter before the idea of being anti-racist mm. before the idea of being you know a white person that would think about your privilege and how best to use your voice to amplify others she just did it didn't she she was she was <laughs> one of the first people to do that she was deported from south africa for refusing to go along with apartheid and she was a real champion of this music and she was great and i just and i just thought that was lovely and just the 
the kind of talking to all these sort of teenage fans and the fact that these kind of ridiculous stories, like the woman that had to go out in Newcastle to buy the last pair of tights in a machine <laughs> on the street because Diana Ross had landed hers, was just, I thought that was lovely. And also the, the couple from the from the Excels, the Liverpudlian couple, that ended up singing I Wonder by the Crystals to Stevie Wonder through a window of a restaurant who then ran outside and shouted, sign them up. I just thought it was so... It was it was, as you say, disappointing that the, the tour itself wasn't a success. And I hadn't realised before you before they said on this that theatres had like a like a sort of a I don't I can't remember the word now, but they had a sort of a like a like a market within 50 miles of a theatre basically they had they dominated they weren't no act was allowed to appear within 50 miles of a theatre they'd already appeared at so they all rattled around the country in this mm. tour bus that's gone down left and right because you know you couldn't you couldn't play within 50 miles of somewhere else so that mm. you know the, the video footage of them on this bus that looks like something out of Heidi High or something <laughs> one of these kind of coaches and there they all are playing cards and someone's eating and like you say that footage a, a real joy and I just and when you looked at the figures at the end 20 uh, 24 shows in 21 venues across 42 days and like places like Wigan and but I mean Diana Ross sang in Bournemouth I mean how do you even <laughs> begin to unpack that it's, it's, and all of them two shows each each day a, a, yeah, exactly. a matinee and a, an evening show yeah exactly and they just they were absolutely just going through it. and that lovely story with the the manager bloke that the way that he told this I thought was so lovely and I'm sorry to sort of be spoiling it slightly but mm. but do do please watch it but I just thought I love the bit where he was talking about he had to he had the Supremes was it London they were in they were in some city and he basically had to had to entertain the Supremes for the afternoon and Barry Gordy was like wanted to reward the acts for their kind of hard work because they all oh, seem to work right. really hard yeah. and so he said to the Supremes what do you want to do we can go to any museum we can go and see any show we can do whatever you want to do and what the Supremes wanted to do was go and buy shoes <laughs> so this bloke and you thought he was going to go honestly of all the things <laughs> he said and I went out with them and they just bought and bought and bought all these pairs of shoes and I thought he was then going to go and say honestly all things I want to do and he paused and said they were such lovely young people and that was one of the greatest days of my life and when you think about it you think actually to be fair going shoe shopping with the Supremes that'd be the greatest day of anyone's life wouldn't it it would be just amazing so I thought this was really joyous actually and it told a story that doesn't get told very often I think and I liked the structure of the program that it that I thought it made sense that they went that, that they talked about the opening bit and then when they went round the tour they went to all the different cities that, or not all of them but some of them and spoke to different people um reminded me of the Supremes a bizarre album a bit of Liverpool which I've forgotten that existed some quite liberal interpretations of Liverpool on that album including a, a miracle song and Tottenham's own Dave Dave Clark five but um <laughs> I just I thought the whole thing was great. It was it was one of those things that I think the BBC's arts coverage still does really well, I think, which is to find a new angle on something that we lots of us that like that music thought we knew all about this. And I didn't know most of the stuff that, that, that this covered. And I just thought it was it was such a great thing. I'd recommend it to anyone, really. Just the, the, the footage and seeing Diana Ross dancing and and some of the hilarious dance styles in the background behind her on Ready Steady Go. There were some really groovy people and some very ungroovy people in the background. But um, no, it was wonderful. I, I couldn't have asked for anything more from it. Like you, I was um, 
unaware of the story behind this yes. little chap uh, in his little semi-detached house. Yeah, David so, Godin, yeah. <laughs> David Godin. So I, I, as a result, I really enjoyed this uh, documentary. It took off for me um, because there was so much footage when we were shown mm. clips from the 1965 release, yes. Silly Special. Yeah. I do remember seeing it at the time, but mm. with very, very vague memories. I just remember... Yes. I was a nine-year-old, and I do Ooh, remember I was thinking, say, it would have been small, yeah. Exactly. It was the most exciting thing. I remember it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen on TV, along with the Beatles. It had a massive mm. impact on me, because as you say, I think in many ways, for many people, it brought Motown into our front rooms. Yeah, when absolutely, um, absolutely. It was a bit of a, a mystery, a bit of a un, unknown that you know only a certain number of people were aware of. And I thought the the relevance of the 1965 Ready Steady Go clips were twofold. Firstly, as I say, there was so little visual material available mm. from the tour that these clips were worth their weight in yes. gold to the filmmakers. But yeah, just to highlight again what you said, the daftest decision. I mean, mm. to show the put the show on t- I- ITV after the Motown tour mm. was completed and they were all back in the states. How stupid. <laughs> Really crazy. Well, it's just, um, it shows a lack of joined up thinking, doesn't yeah, well, it, really? Yeah, it shows yeah, that, yeah. That, that they weren't in full control. And also, as someone said on this, it showed the lack of priority given to it, really. Yes. And the sort of lack of priority given to the black experience at that point. The fact of the matter was they had to have Dusty Springfield front it. Otherwise, it mm. probably wouldn't have happened. And again, like I say, Good it shows a great credit to her. But um, yeah. yeah, like you say, it was it was it was such a, you know, such a such a real pity. Often in um, documentaries like this, I've said before, some talking heads tend to be superfluous. But in this, I thought virtually to a man and woman, they were key Everybody to the counted. story. Yeah, absolutely. I was distracted by Motown fan Keith from Wigan because he was a double for Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yes, he was, rather. <laughs> I did a double take each time he popped up. But no, as you say, again, just to underline what you said, Vicky Wickham, the producer from Ready mm. Go, was really good value. So she was terrific, wasn't she? Overall, a really fascinating tale that will appeal to anyone who either grew up in or has an interest in the 60s and those who love the music um, from Motown in that era. Absolutely. And also, just as a side point on this, um, Dave um, Dave Godin has founded Soul City, which was a record shop in 67, and he developed it into a record label, which was the first one to release a Go Now by Bessie Banks that went on to be covered by oh, the Moody Blues. And his colleague, he had a colleague called David Nathan um, and a friend called Robert Blackmore. David Nathan is Nathan has gone on to write various things about, about Northern about Southern Motor. And it's Dave Godin in this shop that apparently coined the term Northern more than soul um and he explained in an interview with chris hunt of mojo in 2002 that he first came up with the term in 1968 as a sales reference to help staff in the shop differentiate the more modern sort of funkier sounds from the smoother motown influenced sound of a few years earlier. and he says i had started to notice that northern football fans who were in london to follow their team were coming into the store to buy records but they weren't interested in the latest developments in the black american chart i devised the name as a shorthand sales term it was just to say if you've got customers in the north don't waste time currently playing them records that are currently in the US black chart just play them what they like northern soul and that's where the phrase northern soul comes from i had no idea that was the that was the etymology of that yeah, phrase isn't that interesting? extraordinary figure this dave go i'd not heard Ooh. of him before to my shame he sounded and, um, neither would i and he sounded absolutely 
Yeah. Well, and, and when they, they had some voice footage of him as well, which yes. considering he died some years ago, I thought yes. was a really good. He died in 2004 and they had yeah. they had some voice footage of him and he was a slightly strange sounding man. Yes, he was. And he yeah. was yeah. But he was absolutely phenomenal in his kind of commitment, his his complete. And this this when people, you know, when people of a certain era and a certain age try to justify kind of racism or racial insensitivity with oh you know it, all this is you know it was before my time that sort of thing mm. there were figures like dave godin and dusty springfield who were fighting these battles and doing this work and being true allies in the 60s if they could do it anybody could in my view so so huge admiration for him when motown came to britain it's on the bbc iplayer for the remainder of 2023 is highly thank recommended goodness. thank yeah. goodness i'm glad they're keeping it on for the whole year Coming right up, Stephen Mulhern's unusual music taste <laughs> and another of those top 200 lists from Rolling Stone. Mm. That's next after Smokey Robinson. Maybe you want to give me kisses sweet But only for one night with no repeat And maybe you'll go away and never come And a taste of honey's worth
mean, it was almost impossible to pick what mm-hmm. my Motown track was going to be for this. It was, it was, you know, it's the most incredible thing. I've got a, a compilation of Motown, every Motown number one at home, and it goes across 10 CDs. That is how wow. successful Motown were as a label. And the how, the, in the film, they had talked about Barry Gordy and taking the approach to it to, to marketing acts and, and, and developing acts as being like a factory production line. He was obsessed with the idea that you could make things in factories. And Motown was the ultimate factory line, wasn't it? A Doc Holland, <laughs> Dozier Holland, yeah. uh, Ashton Simpson, all those people just knock these out constantly. And I picked this because I think it's a joyous vocal from Smokey on this. I think it is lovely. I second that emotion and I love the story behind this. You've probably heard this before and apologies if you have but for any of our listeners that haven't written by Smokey Robinson and Al Cleveland and they wrote this it was inspired one morning in 1967 they were shopping together in Hudson's which is a a Detroit department store at the time and Smokey Robinson found a set of pearls for his wife Claudette and he said to the salesperson they're beautiful I sure hope she likes them and to which Cleveland then adds I second that emotion (laughs) and they started laughing because it's a malapropism he meant to say I second that emotion motion and they went off and wrote the song as a result of that and i love the story behind that i think it's so cute i think that is wonderful so that is just glory be for uh smoky robinson and the miracles and i second that emotion yeah just one of those divine motown songs that feels fresh out of the box every time yes. you hear it it just sparkles doesn't it and yeah. the um the, the uh dinah ross and the supremes had a had a version with the temptations as well so i was in state that was on that album they did together that your choice came from yeah. so i thought that would dovetail nicely admittedly not many people outside the uk will have heard of stephen mulhern he mm. tends to host or co-host big game shows here in the uk yes he's a, he's a talented ma- magician mm. apparently yes um, yes that's how he started off i think on kids tv oh. i remember watching him do that on kids tv but um, yeah, his CV is is not to detain us too long here. It's um, it's the shall we say unusual nature of his favourite <laughs> music. Um, now I know we live in times in which we aspire to be more tolerant, and everyone is entitled to enjoy any music they like. Um, but of course, there's got to be a but coming. But Stephen Mulhern was featured last week in a column Your Guardian has been, yes. uh, You're the Guardian has been running for the last year or so called Honest Playlist, in which which I like actually. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's interesting. It. Famous it's people and choose... revealing, I think. Ah, right. Your Sorry, famous people choose their favourite tracks to answer such questions as the first single I bought or the song I do at karaoke mm. and so on. And, and indeed, quite revealing. Now, being the Guardian, such people as Stuart Lee and the Reverend Richard Coles, of course, a previous yes, good feature. Jules, um, back to Stephen Mulhern, who chooses It's a bit teeny weeny yellow polka <laughs> dot bikini. Let me entertain you by Robbie Williams. Grace Kelly by Mika and Tom Jones's Delilah. What's wrong with this man? Well, so so I will defend him on the itsy bitsy teeny weeny point in that that was the answer to the question, what was the first record he bought? So that wasn't him necessarily choosing. But he, well, and and so let me go off on a slight tangent here and I'll come back to here. The point of it is an honest playlist. I admire the fact he is honest. Some years ago, a musician acquaintance of mine who I haven't seen for some years, uh, for very long and complicated reasons, was invited 
to audition for Morrissey's backing band, as in that Morrissey. And he and they said, oh well, you know. And he's like, okay, then so I'll just I'll just take my guitar. And they're like, well, no, you do have to you do have to go and see Morrissey beforehand. And it was basically a job interview from Morrissey, <laughs> and he asked what was the first record you ever bought <laughs> and the idea and people i know other people oh i know all other people that have been in that band who have lied to get into that yeah. band and my friend said oh um sugar baby love by the rubettes and didn't get in and i just think it's such a stupid thing i mean it, it says a lot about morrissey i think none of it very good i have to say and so actually i will defend Stephen on the basis that years ago the guardian used to do a sort of a thing on their website when it was much more of a sort of a blog type thing um and it, it asked you what was the first record you bought and they what they would do is they would get like 700 comments on the blog and then mm. they'd pick the 10 most notable either interesting or funny or moving and they would put them in a little bit of the side column and g2 when it used to be like a little a5 a4 thing and my comment got into the top 10 on this because i said i answered it honestly i said the first single i ever got hold of was in the mood by jive bunny and the master mixers and the first ever album i had was rolling around the album these were presents <laughs> me as a five-year-old which probably doesn't knock the edge off that very much i said something like that and it made their 10 most notable and i suspect many people read that and thought god what a prat and you don't you know what i don't <laughs> care i don't care in the slightest they were the first records i owned like you i found some of stephen mulhern's choices perhaps not ones i I would have but uh, but unexpectedly i mean i stephen mohan is a sort of a background person for me who i've mm. never had any strong opinions for or against no. i just think he seems all right when he's on telly i read this i quite liked him at the end of this because i thought he didn't take himself too seriously um and i just thought he seemed like a really nice guy i just thought he i just thought it, I, I was amused by him sort of saying you know I'm I'm trying I'm struggling to get the link to work but he talked about being on a TV show and there was someone watching him and he was like well I think people would have rather watched watched him than me and he just seems <laughs> to be so sort of straightforward and and pleasant and and you know and you know what I I liked him and I did find it revealing for me because I just thought that he was a he was just a, a straight you know a fairly straightforward pleasant guy who decided who heard Imagine by John Lennon loved it said that one day he would buy a white grand piano like in the video because he watched it with his dad and then did and he just think yeah fair play Stephen I just I, I, I you know I don't mind if people like records that I don't like as long as people are not trying to inf oh, you know if, if, you've probably never had this sir T because of the position that you're in but as a youngish woman that occasionally ends up in pubs with bloke that thinks they know music I walked into a bar once when I was about 21, 22 and at a little college in Guildford. And I'd already cottoned on by this point, as you'll gather, because these two blokes said, who do you prefer, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? And I said, I know exactly what you're asking me and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to say the Beatles and you're going to say, oh, no, it's the Rolling Stones. You're going to spend <laughs> half an hour telling me why I'm wrong. And I think you're wrong. I think it's a nonsense. The Beatles. And they both went, yeah, it's the Rolling Stones. <laughs> but I just, so I find this kind of imposition of tastes onto other people quite tedious and i know that i play records on the radio but i always say i'm i'm delighted to share these with people i love these records i hope you love them too doesn't matter if you don't 
you know, you can always switch me off and listen to something else. And so I like the idea of an honest playlist because it's flying in the face of, well, of course, as a four year old, the first album I ever bought was Funhouse by Iggy and the Stooges. I mean, all of this is just <laughs> lies, isn't it? And I, I, I find it really irritating. So actually, I'm as, as the woman that was published in The Guardian, admitting, admittedly under my online username, that the first records were owned by Jive Bunny and Roland Rat, I thoroughly embrace Stephen Mulhern and the honest playlist as a concept. I'm glad that he played along. I uh, He does come across as a very likeable fellow, I have to say. Um, I loathe Delilah because of its lyrics glorifying stabbing yes. a woman to death. I mean, it seems incredible that that was ever I know. Uh, on a playlist. Um, I want, does, does Tom Jones sing it now or not? I wonder if he does. I, I suspect not. I, I suspect not too. In the Robert, same like way that Elton John performed yeah. Island Girl. Yes, exactly. indeed. Um He's right, though, but he's right in that if you pick a song like that, the audience does the work for you because the crowd sings along. That is, having been at mass karaoke fairly recently, he's he's, he's not, he's he's sharp, there's no flies in old Stephen. You pick a song that everybody knows and you can all sing along. I'd recently participated in a joyous 11-person rendition of Ra Ra Rasputin by Boney M at karaoke. And it was, (laughs) again, perhaps, you know, (laughs) racially insensitive, but it was excellent. It was, it was so good fun so i'm very much here for if you don't really want to do tactical karaoke i thought was great see i can't bear robbie williams and i I wish to hear no (laughs) further from him in the public arena and we've got timmy mallet and his awful hit john lennon's um hypocritical imagine mr brightside i mean the list is deranged but he he does come across as a pleasant it does make me laugh that he says he's been covering for chris evans on and graham norton on virgin radio and they allow you to pick three songs so they only let you pick three and he always picks torn by natalie and brulia i grew up when that was released and i got it got to the point where it got played so much yeah, on the radio yeah. that i remember being on the and this dates me a bit i remember being on the bus to secondary school and they'd always have our local radio station which was then called southern fm i think at that point unfortunately it's now just been franchised out to heart like a lot of commercial local radio but I remember you'd be on the bus and it got to the point where you'd hear the beginning bit of Torn and people were grown. I mean, people were so sick of that song that you were like, I mean, did anybody ever expect Stephen Marhold to pick anything by Young Marble Giants? Probably not, (laughs) I think. So, of course, it it, it leans towards the mainstream because so does he. It's, it's, you know, there aren't that many people, I think, that, that are sort of in the mainstream but yet have really wild it's sort of inner life taste steve davis maybe is the exception to that that he's the very sort of staid um snooker commentator and pundit or an ex-player on bbc2 i've seen steve davis's prog rock band utopia strong i've seen him dj techno sets he's one of the only people i can think of who is in the mainstream yet very much has a light an alternative life that is outside of it i'm not surprised that stephen mulhern if there is anybody that is built in a lab to like the killers and the stereophonics it's stephen mulhern isn't it it's it's yeah you know you make that reference to torn there are there are songs that and that's one of them that i've Mm. overheard and I never want to hear again. And it's very sad, but I never mm. want to hear Bohemian Rhapsody again. Yes. I never want to hear I'm Not In Love 
or imagine ever again I've overheard them yes and there's a there's a thing so me and my friend Grace always have this debate that we have there are two different lists for this there are lists of songs that you originally really liked and mm. now never wish to hear again Get Lucky by Daft Punk yeah. is one of them yeah. that, that I've heard so many times Karma Chameleon goes on a different yeah. list for me in that I never liked it in the first place. Yeah. So there are two different hits, songs that wind you up because you don't like them and still have to hear them constantly. But also songs that you genuinely liked, but you just got completely sort of broken down by them. Like you say that and Torn is one of those songs where I've never disliked it, but um yeah, it's one of those things where, you know... Yeah, you just don't want to hear it again. It's just, it's just, it's got into your... It's one of these songs, as I say, like Bohemian Rhapsody, that you've heard so many times, you know every note, and it's just like five minutes wasted because you know it too well. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody has got one of those songs. And mm. I think the 90s were a particular time for that as well. I know you referenced non-90s songs, but com- mm. the, the sort of proliferation of commercial radio alongside Radio 1 and, and mainstream radio in the 90s. I I'd found my list that I've been discussing with Grace. Oh. Songs you once liked that you'd happily never hear again. Um don't Speak by No Doubt, which yeah. is a great song that I've heard yeah. constantly. Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Yo, Adams. God, yeah. Love Is All Around, yes. that was constant. And they're, they're, um, You Get What You Give by The New Radicals. I love that song, and it was just played endlessly. Yeah. Um, Grace says Laid by James. Her partner says Insomnia by Faithless. Stuff <laughs> that you hear constantly. And you and it's. I remember Tracy Thorne saying uh, nine months out to get lucky had come out, and it had been the song of that whole sort of year. Someone danced to it on Strictly Come Dancing, and she said, "I wouldn't be unhappy if I never heard Get Lucky ever again." And I think you get to a certain point, don't you? So, so I can understand. I can understand that, but I do find it funny that for a song for which many people wouldn't be happy not to hear again, I, in a way, I quite admire Stephen Mulholm for never getting bored of Torn. He's obviously got some mental resilience, hasn't he? You can imagine him. Have. You know when they those awful stories of people being tortured in Iraq and Afghanistan and them playing really loud songs at them, like, you know, mm. uh, playing Barney the Dinosaur over and over again, apparently, to try and crack people mm. doing waterboarding. You couldn't do that with him, could you? You play him Torn no. Enjoy and you want to hear it again yeah it's yeah. um what an interesting fellow and i love the fact as well that in in talking about let me entertain you by robbie williams he told the story of doing it on stars in their eyes which i would quite like to see that footage i must admit and how he was allergic to the makeup and the next day his face blew up like a balloon there aren't many people that would tell that story about themselves and my favorite characteristic in people is people that don't take themselves too seriously and i get the impression that stephen Mulhern doesn't i really liked him as a result of this i wish him well and i hope that i never hear his whole playlist but um but he seems like a very personable chap i'm a fan as a result of this now i'm a sucker for these lists that rolling stone oh yes publish they're endless endless ever increasing frequency it seems jules yes um i know they're clickbait but their devilish appeal tends to draw me in and this month it's the 200 greatest singers of all time Mm. and they were voted for not by their readers who they clearly don't trust to arrive at the right (laughs) answers but by and i quote our staff and key contributors now of Mm. course all opinions the gatekeepers basically is what they're saying essentially 
all opinions on these matters uh, as the greatest singer of all time are subjective and personal. Mm. I might love Kate Bush, number 60, by the way. Oh. Someone else might think she's abominable. Uh, they couldn't be a friend of mine, of course. Mm. If they, uh, um, Nor jo- me. Get out. No. Yes, I agree. Joseph's list is bonkers. Joni Mitchell at number 50, with Rod Stewart and Ariana Grande ahead of her. Freddie Mercury at number 14, greatest singer of all time. John Lennon at number 12 of the greatest singers of all time. Um, Jules, essentially, they need to tear this list up and start again. I mean, the thing I've always admired about you is if something is not quite perfectly to your mm. lighting, you wish for it to be banned oh, and then yeah. and then have the audacity to <laughs> sneer at me during our conversations about the need for free speech and the need for uh, and the need to be very open. I enjoy it, how kind of pick and mixing on liberalism between you and me. I always think it's, it's good fun. Um, it's a very odd list, this. Although having said that, it, I wonder who all the contributors were, because it's it, it, the red reads to me like in a way it's a good list in that they've managed to get the most random mix of people because this is if this was written by one person you'd say god i'm really worried about them i wonder if they ought to go and like, they ought to go and be seen by a medical professional because it is the most chaotic list ever a very a, 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 one thing i did like about it is that you see people on it that you never see anywhere so um Janet, um, what's her name? Corinne Tucker from Slater Kidney, I believe, made an appearance on this list. They were they were tweeting about it. Um, oh yeah, like like you, I found it very strange that there were people in different sort of um, that there were all kind of. But but having said that, I do like the fact that there is a list that can that can accommodate SCA, uh, Corinne Tucker from Slater Kidney and Slater Kidney and Frank Sinatra on the same list. I quite like that really. And the thing about these lists is is that. You know, you, you like me are a sucker for them. We can't resist them, even if it makes us angry. In a way, that makes it more joyful, doesn't it? If you can read the list and it is obviously wrong and, and you would have written it better. That's part of the fun. Also, what I really like about it is and and again i've got these and and you have expressed objection to the this is what i like about your tone you're a man of contradictions mm. you're a sucker for these lists yeah. yet you you are made furious by a thousand and one albums you must listen to before you die <laughs> you, you you seem to be able to deal with it in small doses but not large mm. doses mm. i've got the the albums book i've got various books usually bought for me by a young person actually for for christmas presents from well-meaning relatives who were told that i was interested in rock music as a youngster so we'll buy me like the greatest rock albums of all time and I loved those books when I was younger and I really got into them and they taught me so much and they made me so curious to try and find these records and quite often I would buy albums I suspect like you reading the music press as a young person I would see albums in shops that I'd read about and sounded really good and thought and this was in the days before the internet and streaming and downloading was anywhere near what it is now and I think oh I read about that in that book that my aunt got me for Christmas yes I will buy Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin please yes I will buy um an album by Bjork Uh, yes I will buy this stuff and I found a lot of really interesting and great music through these lists so it might well be that you and I roll their roll their eyes at it but somewhere out there is a small nerd who's very much like me at that age who is probably reading this list and then going on to Spotify and listening to a lot of these singers who they might not know so 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 I quite you know it's all the fun of the fair isn't it really and these things 
you know, I, I've got I've gone past that point in my life, Satie, where I think these things are right or wrong, or you know, or or, or <laughs> you know, debate. I just think, you know what? This looks like a really interesting thing to read with a cup of tea during my lunch break in my home office. And if you can approach those things, like like Rudyard Kipling and if if you can approach these these imposters of triumph and disaster just the same, if you can approach the best of lists with the kind of you know equanimity that they that they really should should have, then I think you will be happier for it my i remember my main concern at the 1001 albums to hear before yes. you die if you say the average length of an album is 40 minutes <laughs> yes. i get your concern 27.7 days of, uh, i've got to dedicate my fewer and fewer remaining uh, mm. time left i've got to spend 27 days consecutively listening to a thousand one albums i'm just not going to do it but um there is, however, a tool you can use on the internet to listen to one per day and then rate them and log your thing mm. on the uh, the um. I they they give one days, my God. Indeed. Well, day. having, that's only three and a bit years. You know, you can get <laughs> cracking now. You can be done by the time you're seventy or whatever. Um, wait, wait for this. Barbara Streisand is out in the boondocks at number one hundred and forty-seven. Oh, goodness. Your, sake. your PJ Harvey is at one hundred and forty-five. Yes. I'm, I'm just telling you. I in mean, the, the fact she's on it, I think, is pretty good yeah. because there's been a lot. I love her, but there's been a lot of zingers. So it's, I'm glad she's there. I think she deserves to be there. I'm sure. the top ten. I don't have a great deal of disagreement. Can we do ten to one if we if we can if we will? Indeed. At number ten, Al Green. Number nine, Otis Redding. Here's the one that I'm eight. Beyonce. I love Beyonce, but mm, is she eight, the eighth greatest singer of all, singer time. all time? Yes. Seven, twice. Stevie Wonder. Six, Ray Charles. Five, Mariah Carey. Four, yes. Billy Holiday. Sam Cooke comes in at number three. Yes. Two is Whitney Houston, and number one with who I have no disagreement whatsoever, yeah. Aretha. Yeah, I mean that's a really strong list, and it's a really diverse list as well, and I love that. I think that is there isn't there aren't many people you put in there. I mean, oh Frank, I'd like Frank Sinatra. Mm. I might swap Frank for Beyonce, maybe. Yes, although yes, I do yes. think Beyonce is very good. I wouldn't object to her being in the Boondocks of that list. I mean, mm. in all honesty, you could probably put Babs in place of Beyonce, couldn't you? Babs, very much so. Good point. So, so you but know, or or various other people, but yes. Do you know what? Do you know why? Rolling Stones offices need to be closed down and reduced to rubble. <laughs> Indeed, I don't know why, but I'm I'll, sure, I'm sure I'll this let is you a know. response to which we've come to associate. <laughs> Nowhere in that top 200 is there a mention of Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys. Oh. Good vibrations, God only That's, knows. I yeah, hear music. I agree. Up. This lo- the, the list becomes totally invalid by omitting Carl Wilson. Absolutely. Is, is Brian Wilson in there? Yes, he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of and, 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 and my my uh, my boy, Dennis of Pacific Ocean Blue fame. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen him there. But um, having said that, it's funny how part of me thinks, oh, 200 is a big number, isn't it? Could I think of 200 singers? And then no. the more that you hear about people that aren't in, the more you think, actually, yeah, that is, I, you know, it's sort of thing you start writing it down. Because I just talked to someone recently and they're, they're thinking of, of doing a project of 100 greatest albums of all time from people. And some of our friends are like, I don't own 100 albums. I've never heard 100 albums. And I'm like, it's going to take me a week to, to, to narrow this down. So once you start thinking about these things, you can't stop. Coming right up, hmm. Nul Poix for John Lydon and uh, <laughs> Remembering Jeff Beck. That's next after Shambolics. Hmm. You're up and you're down, you're wearing a frown. Are you sucking a sari in the people around? Do you ask your 
myself from time to time Should I stick around forever, is it gonna be fine? So go and tell me now, will you get out? You can live your life forever with your head in the clouds And you can chase those dreams through all of the schemes You can take on all the world and show us what it means Take me into your soul They write great hooks as well. This is the lead track from their 2001 album, Shambolics and Dreams, Schemes and Young Teams. I think that is brilliant. And you, you're always really good at introducing me to music I've never heard before. And I'm sure it's not meant to be that way around. And yet we <laughs> manage, we, you manage to do it every time. I enjoyed that very much. Thank you. When John Lydon teased on social media earlier this week that he had a big announcement to make. I thought he, I thought it was going to be a new brand of butter. Frankly, and I am very cynical. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be something like dull, like another tour or something. But oh, yet another reissue of Metal Box. Maybe uh, I don't know. Paper Box for a more environmentally conscientious <laughs> world. I don't know. Well, I bought Metal Box at the time, and I tell you, as each year passes, it, it's rusting into yes. nothing. It's just more orangey brown rust. Well, we, we were, to, I was, I was talking shop. about this with a, a record shop proprietor in the run up to Christmas time, and apparently, unrusted Metal Boxes are worth insane amounts of money yeah. because so many of them have decayed, like yes. you say. 
Well, few people would have guessed that his big announcement is that he's planning to bid to represent Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest this year with his band Public Image Limited. And rather like football internationals, he qualifies by dint of his mother coming from Cork and his father mm. from Galway. If you This is like Vinnie Jones playing for Wales, isn't it? Very <laughs> Still, much yes. so. Yes, it's exactly down that route. If you haven't heard Lydon's proposed Eurovision song and you're expecting some snarling rant, as I was, then be prepared to be surprised. Uh, here's a 30-second clip. rather sweet isn't it i mean i yes this is unexpectedly sweet and i think we've talked and we've talked about john lydon before in the past and how parts of him are so abrasive yet it's a lovely lovely tribute isn't it to his mm. to his to his his wife uh partner i'm not sure if they're married or not actually, no, but, they, um, they, yeah they've been they married, are, they are married. Years, yes Nora, i didn't yeah. know if they, were, if they were actually married but yes mm. i think it's a lovely tribute to Nora, and that's the part of john lydon that i find the most sympathetic nowadays his his love and support of her and when he talks about that is glorious that's a beautiful celebration my one objection to this mm. i think it's a lovely track this isn't a Eurovision track. This is this is <laughs> nothing to do with Eurovision. No. And and I've got this horrible it's feeling no that it's going to get no. But it's got it's got no. Um, it, I mean it's it's, it's got a no po- at all, exactly. it's a perfectly pleasant, quite moving, quite sweet ambient track, which I really like. But I just I I mean I I can see why. And and you know he remains a great self publicist, a great. I think he's really clever at how to work the machine. He learned at the he learned at the feet of Malcolm McLaren, who really is one of the greatest impresarios ever. He could make anything work, McLaren, I think. Admittedly, he would then self-sabotage in the future, but I think that that, that Lydon's really smart and shrewd in that he worked out that it is a lovely track and it's got a very moving story behind it, but he needed a gimmick to get it to it to get its attention and saying I'm going to put this in for Eurovision that's your headline isn't it that goes that goes from being a page four in the Guardian's sort of supplementary daily magazine saying oh this is an unexpectedly cult good track he's you know it's on every front page isn't it it's a it's a it's a front page story that he's trying to get on the you know that he's trying to get into Eurovision that's why he's done it I don't think this is going to get anywhere in Eurovision it's got to win the Irish competition first before it gets into the the main Eurovision I you know I admire it hugely I admire him on this hugely um and for me it is not a great Eurovision song because it's (laughs) <laughs> musically i think it's too good i think it's oh, i think it's too restrained i think it's too um i think it's it it doesn't have the sort of razzmatazz that you would appreciate with eurovision um i enjoy i particularly enjoy eurovision entries that have weird sort of things to do with their country sort of weird uh, you know sort of musical lines in i you know i i really like this I just don't think it's anything to do with Eurovision, but I admire John Lydon for being shrewd enough to recognise that that is a good vehicle to get this noticed. 
One of the bizarre things about John Lydon is that he's learnt to sing in his mid-60s. Yes, he has. He's good now. (laughs) He's good. What happened was he appeared on The Masked Singer. On, yes, in America. Did, didn't I forgot that, yes. And they coached him very, very tightly on mm. that um, and spent, you know, quite a lot of time with him to sort of make his, you know, so he wouldn't be snarling mm. and his voice was very disguised. And he's brought that technique um, yes. to this, this track as well. And learning that this ballad is written, as you say quite rightly, for mm. his wife, Nora, who suffers from Alzheimer's, mm. it adds an emotional layer of poignancy. Does. The thing that it brought to me, once again, I, I realise it's never too late to learn at my advanced age, and I'm as guilty as anyone of mm. seeing people through a one-dimensional yes, uh, telescope. Exactly. But people are multifaceted, and, and Lydon not only cares for Nora, but since 2000, he and Nora have been legal guardians of Ari Up's three children. Yes, She yes, died absolutely. very young, and uh, Nora did. Foster was Ari Up's mother. And um, also, I read in an interview this week, and there's no reason to disbelieve him, that Lydon, Lydon says in nearly 50 years together, he's never been unfaithful to, to, to Nora. So I suspect that's probably right. Oh, I, I do too. I, I, I totally believe him. So as well as the sort of belligerent stage presence and interviewee, you know, sometimes seems oh, to play contrarianism is Yeah, contrarianism, good work. Yes. There's clearly a far more softer side there as well. There's, there's emotional depth to him, and that's, mm. that is so interesting. I could easily hear an album of stuff like this. I would oh, love yes. to hear yeah, yeah. all this sort of thing. I, I hope that this... I hope this isn't, and I hope this that he manages to avoid the trap he's fallen into a bit in the past of just being novelty. So yeah. the butter ads, the yes. I'm a celebrity thing, yes. you know, the sort of pistols pantomime that they became. I hope that that I hope that rather than this being a Eurovision thing, I hope that this is just a, a platform that he really is just using Eurovision to be shrewd, and that this is a new direction for him musically i would love to hear that i think that would that would be a, a great thing i'd love to hear more of this i hope this is, isn't just to him doing something mm, because he can no, if you see I, what i mean and actually i I, I think it's genuine because you know when morrissey uh, sorry to mention morrissey twice in one podcast, <laughs> but um but he's always argued in the past that he's going to write eurovision and all that kind of stuff but in a way although i have complained about the fact that this song is not eurovision at all Part of me does admire it, actually, because I would have this horrible feeling that Morrissey would try and write Boom Bang a Bang or something again (laughs) and try and write, you know, a song that is consciously a great Eurovision song. The reason why Britain did really well in Eurovision last year was because it was a really good song that was sung by someone that was really nice. Sam Ryder seems like a really lovely guy who was delighted to be there, that put the work in, that did loads of promotion. They toured the song around Europe. They popped to write a guide every year and they have what key a song is in and they've crunched all the numbers of tempos of songs that work and when Britain came last or second to last five years in a row every song was in the five beat range of the tempos that never do anything at Eurovision and part of me admires the fact that John Lydon has not gone for going oh yeah I'm going to write a la 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 style song for Eurovision mm-hmm. he's submitted something with integrity and with, with kind of thought that's why I think it's not going to work in the slightest but I am um, I, I, you know, I, I, as an album, I would love to hear this. I don't need it to be Eurovision. However, would I, would I have paid attention to this had it not been for the Eurovision? Probably not. So, so in that sense, it's a, it's a very fly move. Here's a question for you, Jules. Mm-hmm. What does Jeff Beck have in common with Henry VIII? 
Oh, it isn't something to do with Herman's Hermits, is it? Married six times. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, <laughs> what does one even say with that? I would love it if one of those those wives was the actress Jane Seymour to kind of marry the two <laughs> together. Wouldn't that be good? But uh, that's um, that's well up Jeff. Clearly, he's lived life, hasn't he? 16 Grammy nominations, eight wow. Grammy Awards, um, which is quite an accolade. But here's yes. the thing with Jeff Beck. I feel he was always a man in search of a band. And I feel the same way about Johnny Marr mm. in the, yes. the latter day person. They both seem to want to make their own music and sometimes guest on other people's other artists records. But Jules, it just seems a bit of a waste. Yeah, I agree, actually. I listened to Wired by Jeff Beck um, this morning, actually, which I bought inexplicably. I bought on vinyl about 15 years ago. Only really knowing Hi Ho Silver Lining, actually, not having any sort of um, familiarity. And it's a great album. But And so he is capable of brilliant solo stuff, I think. But um, yes, the Johnny Marr comparison is very shrewd. And this means I'm going to have to mention Morrissey for the third time in a podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, the triple topic mentioned. Who knew? I mean, he really is a modern pestilence, isn't he? I can't get rid of him. Or as he sung himself, the more you ignore me, the closer I get. So and I remember discussing Johnny Marr and his solo crew we've played some of his stuff before easy money is a great song and that is genuinely a rousing number but um i i said as i said to my friend about the boycott and morris's you know increasingly difficult mm. views i said the problem is having to pretend that i like johnny Marr's stuff more than i like morris's solo stuff is yeah. a challenge and that's and that's that's the issue isn't it like you say that, that it's sort of they the jeff beck became a bit of a drifter having said that i was we talked about paul mccartney in the past many times on this podcast mm. and recently about how um he he tells stories that are great on things, but you very much get the public persona of Paul yes. McCartney, don't you? You very much get the sort of he tells his stories in the way, and which I completely understand. I'm not mm. criticising him for it in the slightest. Uh, many people, you know, even us think that Paul McCartney is somehow our property. And of course, he isn't. He's, he's his own person. But I was very struck on his Instagram. He posted a very long, I thought, and a moving tribute to Jeff Beck that went sort of beyond the usual kind of, um, you know, oh, what a great guys such a talent you know such a talent really mm. important i'll really miss him and was really keen to say how much he loved working with him just what a really nice person he was he spoke at length and i thought that was very telling that you know paul mccartney's lovely but slightly sort of adenine kind of black occasion tending towards bland anecdotes mm. were overtaken by just you know he seemed genuinely really miss his friend and i thought that was lovely i mean by all accounts i, I mean i didn't know about the six marriages thing that's a bit wild but um but by all accounts an incredibly pleasant person to work with um like you say yes he seemed to lack a sort of a a, a, a band but having said that he made some incredible some incredible records and um and wired still sounded really good actually mm. i might pick something from that next week oh, okay, okay well thanks very much for listening this week good to have you there i very much agree Juliet has not been married six times. No, um, I haven't even made it to one yet. Although, if you are interested, do write in. <laughs> but we can all <laughs> engage with her hey! radio show. <laughs> oh, that is that is 
you're amongst your finest slash oh. unfinest works, are you? I never know whether to encourage you or not. Perhaps I shouldn't. Anyway, no, not, that's no. very kind of you to say. I I can bring you two gifts this ooh, week, Satie. I know. Thank you for thinking that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, if you don't like one, maybe you'll like the other. Who knows? But anyway, the, my my usual show that I do, a smooth sailing, seven to nine p.m. on noiseboxradio.com. Yacht rock, easy listening, M O R A O R, classic pop, all that sort of thing. Restful, uh, uplifting vibes for a Sunday evening. I will be beginning a new show, which will be going out on Thursdays on the same station, noiseboxradio.com, from 8 to 9 p.m. And Satie, I think you might struggle to engage with this. Uh, you'll find it hard to marry this up with your uh, with your uh, initial taste. I know. Look at me show voting along with you. Um, you, uh, we regulars of the podcast will know that Terence and I have literal musical differences yes. about instrumentals. Oh. I'm a big fan, Satie really doesn't like them very much unless i pick interesting jazzy things we mm. did play that moondog record the well, other that was week good. That you yeah. liked. yes exactly well hopefully i can persuade you into that line of thinking lost for words is a show that i'll be doing between eight and nine on thursday evenings on noiseboxradio.com it will go out on tuesday mornings i think as well i think there's a repeat and i'll be playing instrumental only music from across the board so we'll have some classicals some jazz some some electronica all sorts of things anything that will kind of fit again a slight restful vibe although i do you know your mileage may vary but um but yeah that's the plan anyway so uh, so yes you can you can hopefully find all the old shows on mixcloud.com as well so uh, so that's the plan hopefully um i was very tempted to pick an instrumental to promote it this week but i thought you can have too much of a good thing i thought i'd break you in gently well indeed to close the lovely voice of eddie reader Absolutely. I played this on last week's Smooth Sailing. I think this is one of the neatest songs ever written. When people talk about a what song do you wish you'd written, Mm. this is one of those songs that is so deceptively simple, isn't it? I wonder if this really was as easy to write as it sounds or whether the true talent is that it took the majors to kind of work out how it goes either way it doesn't matter does it? it is it is just such a joy eddie reader's wonderful voice as you say and uh, this sound the song sounds like it doesn't have a care in the world but i love the lyric i love how empowered it is i love how in control it is of its own life and its own choices i find it i'm not one for inspo anthems sati but i find this quite inspiring actually i think it's so perfectly put and if ever a song genuinely lived up to its title this is fairground attraction and perfect i don't want half-hearted love affairs i need someone who really cares life is too short to play silly games i promised myself I won't do that again It's got to be They're much too eager to give their love away. 
Listening to a Parish Council production.